Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives podcast. My name is Ben Craven and today I'm joined by our Executive Director, Dr. Oliver Hardwich. Oliver, good day. Yeah, hi Ben. Oliver, your latest newsroom column is all about the weird and wonderful world of German politics. Over here in New Zealand, we've heard a lot about uh, traffic lights recently with our own traffic light system for COVID, but over in Germany, traffic lights are also in the media, this time for the three-party coalition. Can you tell us a bit more about what's going on and who's involved? Well, um, the Germans are heading for a traffic lights coalition. In German, that's called an Ampelkoalition. It's called Ampelkoalition because it has the lights of a traffic light. So you've got the red for the Social Democrats, you have the yellow for the Free Democrats, that's the Free Market Party, and then you've got the green for the... Um, Forgotten uh, for the Green Party. <laughs> it is um, a traffic lights coalition and it is quite unusual. It has never happened before, at least not at the federal level. It's happened at state level before. So it took a couple of months to negotiate. The parties have now got an agreement. It's 177 pages long, wow. 52,000 long German words. And next week, everybody expects the next chancellor to be elected in parliament. It seems like a pretty unlikely grouping of parties. Uh, you say it's never happened before. Would it be the equivalent of, of Labour working with both the ACT Party and the Greens here, or is it some sort of weird quirk of European politics where they all just seem to get along? Well, it is a weird quirk that they're working together, and yes, it would be exactly the same as Labour, ACT and the Greens coming together, forming a coalition in New Zealand. We would find this hard to imagine. I bet you a lot of Germans find that hard to imagine too. Wow. Now, back to this coalition document, 177 pages, that puts anything in New Zealand politics to shame. Um, that, that's a huge, huge tome of a document. Totally. I mean, the US Declaration of Independence was relatively short. The Gettysburg Address was relatively short. <laughs> the Ten Commandments were relatively short. Everything is short by comparison. This is ridiculous, of course. 177 pages and, you know, 52,000 words. And the big words. Big words. Really big words. We Germans are very good at forming big, big words. If you tried the same in New Zealand, um, you probably need about a million. <laughs> In your column over here, you, you say that uh, the result is a coalition treaty that sounds vague where it is detailed and detailed where it is vague. What can we actually know about the, uh, the coalition's priorities? Yeah, well, the coalition has actually called this coalition treaty uh, mehr Fortschritt wagen. I have to probably translate that. It means to dare more progress. Now, that sounds a bit odd as a motto for a coalition, but it goes back to the 19. 60s and 70s. The motto of Willy Brandt's government was mehr Demokratie wagen, to dare more democracy, and that was meant to be a new awakening of democracy after the first 20 years of the Federal Republic shaped by Adenauer. So Willy Brandt wanted to do something fresh. He called it mehr Demokratie wagen. It became something legendary in German politics, and therefore now they make reference to that by this phrase, to dare more progress. And it also means, of course, the last 16 years, not much happened in German politics because they happened under Angela Merkel. She was not the most charismatic person, perhaps, to lead the country. I mean, she, the best thing you can say about her, she was reliable, steady, but really inspirational, charismatic. That's probably not what comes to mind when people think of Angela Merkel. So the idea with this coalition treaty is to show that there's a fresh coalition with fresh faces, a coalition that has never happened before in German politics, and now let's dare more progress. Right, sounds like a 
An interesting slogan. Uh, okay, that, that raises a good point though. Is this a 177 page long document? Is there, is there much more in there other than slogans or are things a little bit conflicted? Well, it is a weird and wonderful document. So on the one hand, you have things that are very concrete. So for example, the parties tell us that they would make it illegal to remove radar um, and distance warning systems from commercial vehicles. Right. Well, it doesn't get much more detail than that. <laughs> on the other hand, you have um, statements that democracy is a valuable thing and all constitutional officers should work together to preserve democracy. Yeah, okay, I mean, apple pie and motherhood, basically that kind of stuff. Yeah. And everything in between. You have some things that sound very green, for example. So they want to now accelerate the move into the hydrogen economy. And you think that sounds very green now, okay? But they say then in the next half sentence, well, um, but this should be happening in a technology open way, which means, well, the hydrogen might not actually be produced by renewable resources. It might actually be produced with conventional energy, so it's just transformed into hydrogen. So they're hiding all sorts of things with the phrasing. And sometimes you're not quite sure, um, are they for real? Is this just a compromise between the parties? I'll give you another example. There's one phrase in there where they say, look, we really want to try um, direct engagement um, with citizens in, in new forms. And it sounds a bit like direct democracy. It does a bit, yeah. Yeah, but the next subclause says, while keeping to the principles of a representative democracy. So it's a bit like we're trying direct democracy without actually practicing it. So kind of give with one hand, but take it back with the other. Yeah, and, and this kind of way of trying to avoid conflict really goes through this treaty. My favorite example was actually foreign policy. Oh, yes, I saw about this in your column. Yeah, so foreign policy is really interesting. So... The, the Greens will get the foreign ministry. Um, it will be Annalena Baerbock, who ran for chancellor. She's now going to be the next foreign secretary. And um, she was keen to have a passage in there on feminist uh, foreign policy, whatever that may be. The other parties weren't keen. The other parties didn't want to have the term feministische Außenpolitik in the treaty. So the Greens found a solution. They just translated this into English and now in a German coalition agreement, you find the English language term feminist foreign policy, and that the other parties could agree with, because probably they didn't know what it meant. <laughs> That's just incredible. <laughs> now, you mentioned that um, that the head of the Greens is likely to be the foreign minister, but there are, the coalition agreement still hasn't spelled out which politicians are going to be leading up which ministry. There's still a lot of unknowns. Can you tell us a bit more about what we do know and, and where the gaps are? Yeah. In the final few pages of that document, the parties specify which party gets which ministry. And apparently that was quite difficult because no party wanted to have the health ministry and no party was keen on defence either because they are the two big disasters, of course. I mean, defence is a disaster in German politics and health, I mean, in a pandemic, who wants to be the health minister? Poison chalice. Exactly. So um, especially when you look at what happened to the current guy, he basically finished his political career in the job and he didn't want to become chancellor one day doesn't look that good at the moment. Anyway, so no party wanted that, and that was a stumbling block towards the end. And as a prize for getting the chancellor, the SPD, the largest party, to say, okay, we take defense, okay, we take health too. So towards the end of the coalition agreement, you see which party gets what, but it's not spelled out which politician gets what. I mean, the first party that came off the blocks was the Free Democrats. They got four ministries. And it took them a few hours to say which uh, of their politicians gets what ministry. 
Fine. The Greens took a bit longer. Um, with the Greens, it was a problem because it's a party traditionally torn between two wings. The Greens have a fundamentalist wing, the Fundis, and then they've got a Realpolitik wing, the Realos. And the Fundis and the Realos, I mean, you laugh, but this is the ongoing story of Green Party politics in Germany and has been for the last 40 years. They fought it out. Um, each wing had its own favorite candidate for, um, the, for example, an uh, agricultural secretary position. And Anton Hofreiter, head of the party um, in the Bundestag, member of the left wing of the party of the Fundis, he, he wanted to have the position, the Realpolitik um, wing of the party wanted to have Cem Özdemir, Turkish sounding name, but born in Baden-Württemberg and as someone with a migration background, so to speak, um, very popular. Actually, he had the best result of any Greens constituency candidate. He won 40% oh. in Baden-Württemberg, which out. is a conservative kind of um, part of Germany. So Cem Özdemir will become agricultural secretary. So the funda fundamentalist part of the Greens party is a bit annoyed, but at least they found ministers now. The only party that hasn't decided on anything apart from the chancellor it's the SPD. So we know Olaf Scholz is going to be the new chancellor, but there are many question marks around the ministries the SPD has agreed to take over, right. including health. Right, and there's a, there's a particular person within the ranks of the SPD who who might be a bit polarizing, but could be a front runner for the health ministry. Yes, uh, I think you're talking about Dr. Lauterbach. Um, Dr. Lauterbach, Karl Lauterbach, Professor Dr. Karl Lauterbach. What a title. He, yeah, what a title. Um, I urge you, since this is a podcast, uh, to Google him to get a better picture of him. Um, he is a phenomenon in German politics. He is a health economist from the University of Cologne. He's a member of the Social Democrats. Um, he's been a member of parliament for, I think, almost 20 years now. And he is definitely a health economist and a health policy expert. He is also extremely popular. He likes to go from talk show to talk show. He's often on TV and on radio. He is so popular now, believe it or not, he's got his own comedy program where someone parodies um, Karl Lauterbach and um, they, they were having fun with him. He has a very distinctive accent from the Rhineland, which makes it very difficult for the rest of the country to understand him or to follow him without falling asleep. But the problem with him is also that he's been consistently right throughout the pandemic. Whenever he said it's going to be really, really bad, nobody wanted to hear it, but Dr. Lauterbach was always right in the end. But with all of that, with his accent, with his persona, with his insistence on really tough measures on the pandemic, he has become a bit of a polarizing figure. The problem for the SPD is now they would have to really justify not giving the health ministry to their most prolific health policy expert who has been on every TV program for the last two years, practically daily. Um, if they don't give it to him, they would have to explain this really, really well. At the same time, if they give it to him, I think that would drive loads of people up the wall. Is he likely to overshadow a few other um uh, senior figures in the government. I think when we're talking about Dr. Lauterbach, overshadowing is probably not quite the right word. It's more annoying, driving to despair. But at the same time, he's got a very entertaining factor in German politics. Um, I think he would make, make German politics at the federal level a lot more colourful. Fantastic. Dr. Oliver Hardwich, thanks so much for joining us. You can read Oliver's latest column on Newsroom. It's titled, A Magic Dwells in Every Platitude. Oliver, thanks again. Thanks, Ben.
stay up to date with our latest research, opinions and events, sign up to our weekly insights newsletter at nzinitiative.org.nz.